welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Thursday deep dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We're here with Ian Gray as always. Ian, how's it going? I know you've been buying a little bit of Mohawk recently, uh, one of our old episodes. So how's it doing? You know, a little action today, huh? Yeah, a little bit of action. It's uh, it's taken a hit recently and some people are, you know, some people think it's due to some warrants and other people, you know, no one's exactly sure why it's down, but uh, looking to scoop up a little bit at a little bit of a discount. So All right, there you go. Don't listen. Yeah, don't listen to the noise ever. I yeah. will say... I uh, did a little bit of digging on Mohawk recently, and I got a little more bearish than I used mm-hmm. to be. So we can talk about that off the show. We can, do, we can do, yeah. We may have to do a follow-up with them in maybe a year or something. That could be a fun uh, look back. But we're going to be talking Redfin today. This is Ryan's pick. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got to talk about seven investing. You guys know the pitch. If you've listened to the show before, we say it every time. But they're basically the best deal out there if you want research as a retail investor. It's only 17 bucks a month usually, but with our promo code CCM, you get $10 off at checkout. Mm-hmm. Uh, the returns since starting in March of last year have been 48% versus the average return of the S&P of 21%. So they're beating the market in the last year by almost 27%. That's phenomenal. That's 150% outperformance. Yes. In Shabbat <laughs> terms, we are cruising right now, but uh, they have a long-term mindset as well. Very similar to what we have here. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just a great service, but let's mm-hmm. kick it off. Ryan, you want to talk about Redfin? Sure. So at a high level, Redfin is a residential real estate brokerage. So if you're not familiar at all, I think real estate broker. I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of people listening right now have probably heard of them before, but yeah, they're they're also the most visited real estate brokerage site globally. Um, And if you're thinking, well, don't they compete with Zillow? Zillow is not considered a real estate broker. They they may have a component of it now, but that's not what what their business model was intentionally uh, or originally. Anyway, so I have a quote from the 10K because I don't feel like paraphrasing uh, and just basically changing the words. So it says, our long-term goal is to combine brokerage, mortgage, title services, and instant offers to directly purchase a consumer's home into one solution, sharing information, coordinating deadlines, and streamlining processes so that a consumer's move is easier and often less costly. As we integrate these services more closely over time, we believe we can help consumers move much more efficiently than a combination of standalone brokerages, mortgage lenders, and title companies ever could. So Redfin has helped customers buy or sell more than 310,000 homes in 2020. Um, They also charge much lower commissions to sellers, and they also have like a refund part for the buyer. But the the big structural change is that their employees are full time employees, and there is they do. Get you a say you're they're agents. You said employees are employees. They're they're yeah, real so estate agents. Their real estate yeah. agents are full time employees, whereas at a traditional brokerage, you're kind of paid on commission. So the agents do get, I believe, they do get a smaller portion of that commission or whatever. But 
the they're really paid they get bonuses based on volume so the amount of houses they sell instead of just trying to get the best or the biggest deal they're trying to get as many deals done as possible so if you think about that that is really friendly to the customer on both sides because they're just trying to get the deal done uh they're trying to find a mutually agreed upon price uh, and not not gouge one side or the other. So that's sort of the shift that they've taken in the industry, and that they've kind of been the first mover on that. And their commissions are pretty low. Um, am I missing anything else, or does yeah, that kind of cover it well? I mean, now they do some eye buying as well, which we'll get into some future growth opportunities. But Ian, do you have anything else? Yeah, I was just going to make one more comment on the agents. So one thing they they mention about the agents is they have a really high retention rate on these agents because. They get health insurance, they're paid a regular salary. People aren't jumping from brokerage to brokerage. They come to Redfin and a lot of them stay at Redfin. And then the other little piece is you'll see when uh, Redfin's describing its revenue is that it's talking about the agents, its own agents, and then also um, its partner agents, which are agents that it, re like when someone clicks on a listing on Redfin, if they don't have their own agent, they may refer them to another agent who then pays them a referral fee for that um, thing. So they also have this network of agents that are with other brokerages, but um, are paying referral fees to Redfin. Right. And they said they wanted to slowly get it all to Redfin agents over time. But right now, they got to just, you know, they want to fill all the supply without ruining all the customer's experience. Yeah. And that is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but that is basically Redfin, I assume, leveraging their website and their reach since it's the most clicked on, most looked at real estate web uh, website or broker. Yeah. And again, it's, Zillow is the most visited one, but they have the technicality where it's like people that do broker, or sorry, right. mortgages, mortgages. Yeah. And it, it is... When did Zillow, do you guys know when they introduced brokerage services? Because that's just recent. Yeah, Zillow the last few years. The, the difference between Zillow and Redfin is that a lot, most of, I believe almost all of Zillow's revenue comes from ads or promotion. Yeah, at least gross stuff. profit because I know they have eye buying, which might have you know, super high revenue, but low right. margins. Right. And they've had um, like referral fees to these other listing agents kind of like Redfin does. But for a long time, Zillow really said, we're not going to get into having actual agents that are our own. Just recently, I think it was in, um, I was just looking at this and I think it was in October maybe of 2020, they started hiring a few of their own agents. And so for a long time, they've stayed out of that, but they're just now starting to get into it, which shows that maybe, um, you know, Redfin is onto a good model here. And like, because like you said, the they are leveraging their website to, you know, get those referral fees, Redfin is. Yeah. Um, but as Brett was talking about, the uh, that's more valuable when they actually have their own agents that they can refer right. to instead of these right. outside agents. And so um, it becomes like, I think Redfin's transitioning more and more to that model. And I assume that Zillow's looking at that and going, okay, we can pick up some points of margin here. It's going to be a little more efficient. We get higher revenue numbers, all that type of stuff. But, yeah, it seems like they're slowly merging into like all the they're, they're slowly just competing with everything each other's doing and then you got open door on top kind of going scorched earth we're going to do whatever <laughs> we want and just buy up as much stuff as possible but ryan sorry yeah continue on history. history about the business they were founded in 2004 by david Ericker, michael doherty dowerty i might be i'm mm. terrible with names you guys know that so and then david selinger uh, in Seattle, Washington. So right next to home for us. But uh, David Selinger actually dropped out of University of Washington Medical School, which uh, that is a rival college to Brett Do and I's I, alma yes. mater. Yes. Um, but 
anyway, so boo Huskies, but uh, he was actually, he dropped out of the medical school in pursuit of a career in software design. And they originally launched in just Seattle in the Bay Area, I think in 2006. Interesting note, uh, Selinger was actually neighbors with Sammy Inkinen, and they had like, he had like a Capitol Hill apartment. That's basically where they all worked out of. Fun fact, that's where the autonomous zone was. That's, <laughs> yeah. that, I don't think that's a thing anymore, but that's where it was this summer. So, yeah. Right. Uh, maybe we're just talking about <laughs> too much Seattle stuff, but <laughs> Sammy Inkinen actually founded True Leah and he was his apartment neighbor. So two giant real estate mm-hmm. uh, moguls, I guess you will, kind of cool. uh, in the same apartment block there. And then early on, Redfin received $1 million in funding from Madrona Venture Group and $8 million from Vulcan. And Vulcan was Paul Allen's investment firm. And Paul Allen is from Seattle, for anyone who isn't familiar. Um, and then 13 years after their founding, they IPO'd in 2017. They've had a pretty successful business yeah. ever since. It was really... Stock, stocks done well. Yeah, they were one of the pioneers of map-based searching. Um, especially, I, I think they were the pioneer for real estate map-based searching. So uh, then kind of Google and some other ones fell in line after that. But Yeah, that's what, they, that's what they claim. But Zillow kind of took over that market a bit. But, you know, it's not like Redfin has no... I don't know. It always feels to me like sales is the leader, but maybe that's just my personal experience. For the consumer, like just consumers looking at consumer, home, I would yeah. say they are. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Ian, you want to earn no, right. You want to industry and landscape? Yeah. So, you know, from their internal estimates, Redfin thinks they have about 1%. I think it's actually 1.00% of the US market in 2020. Uh, so, not anywhere close to market saturation. I mean, as we all know, residential real estate is huge. So, very no fragmented. Concerns, very fragmented. Yeah. And there's a few competitors, which I'll get into, but the overall industry, uh, there's estimated 5.64 million homes sold in 2020, which is up 5.6%. Average home worth was $266,000, up 8%, uh, as people have probably seen either from the data or anecdotes, the real estate market is really hot, quote, hot right now, uh, which always makes me laugh, but uh, there's probably a lot of demand out there for Redfin. Uh, no need to go into really any of the specific numbers, but again, like, you know, with the COVID dynamics, you know, larger uh, amounts of, well, the age groups that are becoming home buyers, kind of those millennials, they have, there's a lot of people of that age in the United States compared to the average age groups. Uh, so that's going to just create a lot of demand right now and should over the next few years. Traditional competitors would be someone like Keller Williams, Coldwell Banker, Windermere, but there's a ton and there's not. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no huge leader. It's very fragmented. Um, and then the iBuying competitors would be Open Door, Zillow. There was rumors that Amazon was going to do this, but that just seemed like one of those rumors that Amazon is. It seems like there's a rumor that Amazon's competing with everyone and, and they really don't follow through with it like maybe 10, 20% of the time. Uh, and then Redfin, you know, is kind of sort of leaning into both camps. They use the traditional agents with a twist, but they're also embracing iBuying. They have that model where they're saying, all right, we're going to align the incentives of you know, the customers, agents, and us, or us and the shareholders. Um, anything else to add there? Yeah, I, I would just say that there's also a lot of local, like, sort of agents and stuff like yeah. that, where they, as a collection, probably take up a lot of market share, yep. but they're not any, there's not any single one that obviously takes up a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing, I, I don't know of any single real estate broker, uh, that has massive market share. Uh, yeah, I was trying to look. Uh, I couldn't find any, but that might just be like behind some paywalls or something like that uh, for industry data. And I do feel like, 
uh, you said Amazon rumored that they might get into it. I feel like sometimes they just toss out rumors just to see people stock tank. Yeah, no, just for great. fun. Like, yeah, I mean they had the. I mean they had we the. Could pat- do that too. They had the patent for the blimps. Remember that the blimps that were going to drop packages. I mean that was just they just made a patent. Ooh, okay. But the uh, sorry, <laughs> right. Ian, do you have anything else on that? And then you want to hit management and ownership. Well, yeah, I was just going to ask you. You think they have like an office pool going? Like how how far down will uh, Open Door go if we announce we maybe get into i buying or whatever? I but, mean, they uh, yeah, with like when they announced the whole food acquisitions, they must have been like, wow, we can really just say something, and then everyone's stock tanks twenty percent. Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll dive into management. So the CEO is Glenn Kelman. He joined the company very early on in two thousand five as the CEO. Um, before that, he co-founded a software startup that was eventually acquired. Um, one interesting thing that I do like to see is that he played many roles at that company. He was like heading up the technical team, product development, marketing, and business development at different times. And so it's kind of, you know, when you're in a startup like that, I think everyone's wearing a lot of hats and he really exemplified that. And so someone I look at and go, okay, this guy probably understands the complete business fairly well. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the pro- the way that the teams work together and how things need to be done and just knows how to talk to everybody in those different types of roles, I would assume. Um, before that, he was a product manager at another startup that was also acquired. So definitely a guy that's been pretty involved in startups. I think right when he got out of college, he was like trying to be a novelist. Um, and he said that that really didn't go too well. Um, I think it's been a year and a half, two years, and his girlfriend wasn't too happy with him and his novel wasn't very good. So he, he decided to join the startup world. But um, anyways, um, there's one line on his LinkedIn, uh, profile for the Redfin section. And I just thought it was a pretty good line. He says, Redfin is a technology powered real estate brokerage. We help people buy and sell homes and just kind of encapsulating. I like to see what management teams, um, see their own role as, and just to really simplify it there that we help people buy and sell homes. Um, which is different than some of these competitors, someone like Zillow or someone like um, Open Door, even that uh, would probably like this. Really seems like a broker's um, a broker's firm's mission. So he owns about one and a half percent of the shares outstanding. So not a huge chunk, but still pretty substantial. Um, and he's also known a little bit as a CEO who is um, outspoken about supporting diversity, business needing to do something for good. Um, trying to be kind of a moral CEO. Um, he's also kind of uh, optimistic, I would say. He's like very, like he was on, I watched an interview with of him on CNBC and he was like, uh, at the end of it, he was all like smiling and saying, man, it was such a blast to be here today and just love being <laughs> on and thanks for all the great questions. And you must have a good therapist. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it and going, uh, you know, like I would, I would be ecstatic to get on CNBC someday, but yeah. I don't know. If I'd be as uh, as the CEO of Redfin, I don't know if I'd be that excited about it. But anyways, yeah. the last thing I'll say is they have gotten, um, they have quite a bit of uh, performance-based compensation. And as I was looking through the proxy statement, that all looked um, fairly good. They haven't released the most recent proxy statement um, for 2020, but um, the 2019 one looked good. They didn't seem like the bonuses were extravagant or anything like that. Um, but they've noted an update for the bonus program that got a little bit of backlash for this coming year. And they said that we're tying 25% of 2021 executive bonuses to increasing the representation of people of color at Redfin, especially in management roles. And um, I don't have a strong opinion on whether this is a good or a bad thing. Some people thought 
that's kind of um, patronizing a little bit, or you're going to hire people of color and all these right. white executives are going to get the bonus for it. Um, he looked at it and said, Hey, we're, we're trying to do something good and we're not going to get this bonus that we would have gotten otherwise, unless we do this. So, you know, uh, it, you can kind of, like I said, I don't have a strong opinion on that. You can kind of take that as you see fit. But um, one thing that has been in the news a little bit recently. Uh, it seemed like uh, from when I was reading the transcripts, he's not a, he's not just following the robotic CEO speak, uh, which I liked. Uh, seemed very authentic. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan, about him? I find it interesting that he came on so early. Yeah, well, actually, the founder is suing them. Oh, really? I was, <laughs> I was debating whether to mention that or not because it doesn't seem to have really a material effect on the business, yeah. at least in my opinion. But um, it is a little bit of an interesting note that they are suing him for some patent infringement, basically. Yeah, something like that. They also, uh, I know that early on, I guess this is kind of a just tangent, but early on they had to lobby in Congress to get to, to, to be able to provide that sort of transparent information on homes to really? everyone around uh, in the markets they served. And so, I mean, yeah, there's been some sort of uh, resistance in this business model. And I think it's probably almost essential that they had that funding early on in order to do it. Yeah, probably right. And the, yeah, I mean, it seems like the real estate lobby probably wasn't happy. Yeah. Yeah, the agents, they're kind of disrupting them. But I have valuation. Yeah, I have valuation. Mark, yeah, right now it's about $7.85 billion ticker. RDFN, I was using 103 million shares outstanding, which was from the 10K, that's the latest number, so not at the end of 2020, but sometime in February, price to sales of about 8.86, price to gross profit, 33.8. So quite rich, price to operating cash flow, 129, uh, very rich there as well. You know, make sure you're watching gross profit, not revenue. I believe we talked about this a few months ago when we covered open door, but if iBuying becomes a larger percent of sales, and gross margin falls, you got to watch the gross profit number. And in reality, you should watch the earnings and free cash flow number. But if they're not that profitable, gross profit's a lot better than revenue. Uh, share count has gone from about 81 million to 103 million in the last few years. So you're going to have some headwinds from share counts. And they have about 10.16 million stock options and RSUs exercisable. Interesting note, because uh, I do get bitter about stock compensation as a shareholder. They only have 4,100 uh, or 4,200 employees. So that is about 2,500 shares per employee that are exercisable right now. And at the current price, that's $185,000 worth of shares per employee. Doesn't seem crazy, but again, that's just kind of putting some numbers on what kind of dilution you might face as a shareholder. Not necessarily a bad thing because you do have to incentivize the employees, but it is part of the investment Redfin is making to grow their business. Also well, worth done. noting that those are not, <laughs> there are 40, whatever, 4,200 employees, but uh, those stock options likely are not equally uh, dispersed. Among yes, those it's just an average. It's, it's an average, not a median uh, CEO probably getting more. Yeah. Uh, and what's weird is they also have a discounted share purchase plan. So you can buy them at 85% of the current price. I love when companies do this, but I always get confused why I need both. Uh, I know this is a topic for like another day, but it seems like if you're going to allow people to buy it at a discounted price, why not give them a lot of cash and let them buy it? Maybe it's better to have That's both, strange. but who knows? Just know that uh, you know, shareholder dilution is going to be something you have to factor in. Yeah. And to touch on the sort of valuation metrics, uh, there isn't, they kind of have the conundrum. It's similar to the cash app 
where they have to record the volume as revenue. Um, and so it makes gross margin look really, really low and it can hamper gross margin on the overall business. Whereas most of the real gross profit is still coming from the services. So the commissions uh, for buying and selling homes. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll get it right into earnings then. Uh, in 2020, they had 886 million in revenue that was up 13.6% year over year. They have 20, 26% gross margins versus 18.5% a year ago. Their operating income was basically break even. I think it was literally under a million dollars. So it was like less than 1%. Um, but the real estate services segment had 56% gross margins. And so that's where you know, that portion of the business is still relatively high margin. Um, it's not anything it's probably not what you see with some of the SaaS businesses, but the property's revenue is obviously much lower. Uh, and they generated 61 million in operating cash flow for the year versus negative operating cash flow the year before. Uh, share count rose by seven and a half percent over the last year, but I might have got that number wrong because I took uh, I think I took the wrong share count because yours was a little higher than mine. Yeah, um, I was using you might have been using weighted average, but it's just slightly different. Okay, just. Yeah, factor that in as well. And then they had 42 million monthly average visitors to the Redfin website and mobile app. That actually grew 28% year over year. And then the Redfin market share was, as Brett mentioned earlier, uh, 1% of the overall home value that I think was bought or sold. Um, and that's actually up from 0.81% in 2018. I kind of like gonna, that they offer that uh, uh, as for, a metric. And, yeah. and it's not just... Because so many times you hear, well, think about how big the market is. If they can just capture 1%, <laughs> but they did just capture 1%, and it is I a expect, significant portion of revenue. I expect that they had a huge party when that happened. That would have been such a milestone. <laughs> like know. 15 years in the making, you know. Think if they get 10%, that'd be amazing. But All right, balance sheet and liquidity. And you want to go? Yep. So, so they have about $925 million in cash. And that's a number from the 10K that's before this um, acquisition that they just made that we're going to get into in a little bit. So that acquisition was about $600 million in cash. And so um, you, the cash balance should be after that, it'll be more somewhere around um, 300 million, a little more than that, probably. Uh, they have debt of around $600 million. Most of that is convertible notes. Um, a lot of them are their 2025 notes, which have a conversion price of 72.51 a share, which is just oh. below the current share price. Would well, you know when they did these? Because that would have been that's that's yeah, it's, it's below it already. Because I've done yeah, so it was back in October, and I think in October the share price was somewhere around 55, 60 bucks a share, something like that. So there has been some some appreciation since then, but um, not a not a not a huge premium, I don't think, on the conversion price. Um, the inventory is about a third less than it was at the end of 2019, which I, I'm sure you'll remember us talking about this with Open Door. But like Open Door, they paused all their eye buying efforts um, in March and didn't start them up back up again until mid June. And so uh, to, that caused two things. One is they were like they were worried about you know we don't want to get all this inventory of houses on our books that we're not able to sell because it just cost them money to hold the inventory. Um, and two, and, and they didn't know if it was going to be dropping. And so they stopped buying, which then caused them to not have as much inventory, which is a good thing. But also when things started ramping back up, they haven't sold as much because they don't have as much inventory was basically the claim that they've been making, which makes sense. Um, so, you know, it, it, we'll see where they 
how they take this moving forward, but they definitely rolled back a little bit on the eye buying piece of it this year, which as Ryan was mentioning, um, improved gross margins for the year because the gross margins on that eye buying is just abysmally uh, low. So that's, that's the reason that uh, gross margins in, increased in this past year. Yeah. The, the balance sheet is really important for Redfin and all these eye buying companies because they need a lot of liquidity to make these purchases. Yeah. And one other thing to note on the balance sheet that I forgot to mention is they have something, I think they call them warehouse uh, credit facilities. And so there's part of their debt is that type of stuff, which is basically um, credit they use to help with their mortgage origination business. And so it's short-term debt, but you will see, I think it's about 60 million maybe of that type of debt on their balance sheet. Um, and so they've got a few different, they've got the convertible notes, they've got this stuff that helps with the mortgage origination. And then they've also got um, like a, uh, a revolver, basically a line of credit. And so there's a few different types of debt that they use for different types of scenarios. Yeah. It seems like they, though, they kind of have those bridge loans, you know, again, to just provide the liquidity, right. When they're buying stuff, cause those just cost a lot of money. Yeah. Ryan, anyone else? We go. No, that's it. All right. Well, that's going to do the first half. We're going to hit an ad break. And we're going to talk all the great stuff on the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in. First up is competitive advantages. I think this will be a fun one uh, for Redfin because they're kind of trying to be the rule breaker if I want to do the David Gardner quote. Uh, so Ian, why don't you kick things off? What do you think? Yep, so the first thing that comes to mind when I think of a competitive advantage for Redfin is the high retention of agents and their agent network that they have developed and just the different model they use um, like we've said, they, it's not commission-based. It's They actually pay these people as employees um, and with benefits. And so uh, Zillow has just started trying to hire agents to build out that network. Um, and that's kind of suspected to be in order to improve margins for Zillow's iBuying business that they can, if they can have their own agents as part of that process rather than have other agents, it's going to improve the margins for Zillow. Um, and then uh, I think it gives uh, Redfin a competitive advantage because it's closer to how real estate works currently. You don't have um, like, and this is a competitive advantage relative to Zillow and relative to open door that they have, that they, they're not asking people to buy a house entirely on their computer. Right. Mm -hmm. We have an agent for you and they're, they're building tools that make it easier to move the, you know, move you um, through a buying process using an agent. And one of the things that I find to kind of be interesting is they've discovered like, man, we have some really high performing agents and we're going to go put those people in the field and we're going to refer to them more on when people click on a listing on Redfin. And so they're trying to kind of promote their high performers and get them to do more and more volume. And some of their lower performers are saying, Hey, you can actually stay in the office, not go out in the field as much. And you can do stuff that um, is more focused on like, uh, like helping people through the eye buying process or things like that, that are less tactile. And so they seem to be doing a good job of building this agent network, utilizing it and even optimizing it. I think that is such like, I think that is probably the biggest advantage is that they haven't gone out and done something that's 
too big of a step up. Like I think it might be a little hard for Zillow to go and become basically this. It's like people don't go there to actually buy a home. They just go there to look at fun, you know, houses that they want to have. It reminds me a bit of online grocery. If that sounds weird, Maybe, but it, it's almost like Pinterest. They're like going there for inspiration instead yeah. of like actual home purchasing. And Redfin is really like the, it, it's taking that tech and making it a more logical next step for the home buyer. Um, I but yeah, I, 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 I agree with that, but for online grocery, just, it's kind of something again, where it's like a solution looking for a problem. Like people, right. do they really want to just do this all online? I don't know. I'd rather spend a few hours and go visit it. Yeah. Um, sorry. And then ahead, my Ryan. competitive advantage, I guess, was scale and notoriety. Uh, they are gaining market share. And I think a lot of that is because the more people that, uh, sell homes on the platform, the more useful the platform becomes. Um, don't say flywheel. <laughs> I won't say flywheel, but it just, I think people underappreciate how difficult it can be to scale a real estate operation. Yeah. Um, and for them, they've entered so many more new markets. I mean, you look at, even look at open door, like they've only been able to enter so many markets at a time. Redfin already has that scale, I believe across almost all the states uh, in the U S mm, no, it's not as far as you think they're in more, mar- they're in 95 markets. Right. Uh, but that's, I think they're dividing it pretty small. They're not in their map. Okay, some of it's the the states with not many people, but they're not in. They're not in every state yet. The more I know, the more we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. Or maybe that was Redfin. I maybe that was I buying. I could be confused. I, I think it was. It was like ninety five or ninety six markets, but it, I don't think that was specifically for I buying. I know the mortgage service is only in I think twenty one states or something like that. So, so yeah. but uh, I. Yeah, more than some of their competitors. Yeah, Brett, what about you? What's your I think I do think the business model you guys mentioned it a bit too. You know, it's it's like the best weighing against the traditional brokerages and these i buyers. I think they have the best model for sure. Like it creates a win-win-win scenario for all parties. You know, the agents do better, customers do better because commissions are lower just with the structure they have, and then theoretically and so far, shareholders are doing better because their business is growing. Only concern here is I think Zillow could, you know, does have the advantage with search and explore. If they can utilize that correctly, that could be a way for them to counter position themselves versus Redfin. But Open Door, um, I know a lot of people like Open Door. And when we talked about them first, it seemed like a novel idea in the fall. But I think it's a third wrong idea that it's just getting absurdly cheap capital at the moment. Uh, what do you guys yeah. think? Thoughts about that? I'll, yeah. And like you said earlier, I think Open Door is sort of going scorched earth. Like, I think they're <laughs> really going out aggressively at a market that tends to move pretty slow. And Redfin has been a little more methodical and it's taken more time to build up this reputation. Yeah. Ian, what are your thoughts? And then you want to hit your future growth opportunity. So, yeah, my opinion on Open Door, I think, is it's an interesting idea. And I think it has a place in this market. I think there will be some people who really enjoy the iBuying experience and are willing to you know, take a little bit of a lower price oftentimes for the open door purchase than they would have otherwise been able to get on the open market for the speed and the efficiency of it. But I don't think it's going to take over the whole market. And so I think something like Redfin is really an attractive opportunity that, that like you were saying, Brett, kind of has the best of both worlds. And, um, you know, open door has its place, but I don't think it's going to transform the entire real estate market. As far as a future growth opportunity, um, this, this is maybe a little bit of a contrarian point of view, but it kind of piggybacks on what I was just saying. I might be wrong in this front, but iBuying is super low margin and 
I don't really see that those margins expanding at all. Um, I kind of would like to see Redfin focus more and more on the agent network and build that as efficient as possible, maybe create some more add-on services, just like, you know, mortgage origination, some other, they have that already, but like some other services like that, that um, they can kind of add value to each real estate transaction. And so make it things like um, open door are not a particularly attractive option because you've already made the process super smooth, super easy, but it's not just a complete eye buying process. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Ryan. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. It gets recorded as low margin and I'm, I'm not that big of a fan of I buying because I think it's a little bit of a risky business because you're buying bit. homes. They don't want, yeah, right. And there's so many macro factors with real estate, but um, I, I, they have to buy the home and sell it, which in itself isn't super low margin. Um, it just gets recorded as revenue, and I or I think I think they are taking the whole transaction cost as revenue, and then making the profit yeah. uh, or whatever they resell it for that little gross margin. But anyway, um, I'll get to my future growth opportunity. Uh, it's the mortgage business. Uh, well, first, and this is small, but they yeah, this one looks on important, this. and it's really important. Uh, make it so when I'm on the Redfin website and I click on a home, it does it doesn't move me to a new tab. I think that's just simple and easy. And it's uh, so if you're listening and you're a developer at Redfin, uh, I think that would be a good next step. But other than that, um, expanding the mortgage business into the remaining states, I, I feel like that is the logical next place for consumers to go once they've sort of found a home that they want is, you know, how do I finance this? Um, where do I go to get it? If they can do that right there from Redfin as well, that's great. Right now they are in 56 markets, which is, I don't know how exactly they define a market, but it's only in 21 states. So I think they have room to expand on that. Yeah, for sure. um, And that's obviously a growth opportunity that's already in practice. So it's nothing uh, that innovative, but yeah. uh, just that that's one of the parts of the business that I like the best. Yeah. All right. I'll hit mine. It's the acquisition of RentPath. They spent, I believe, $600 million getting this out of bankruptcy. Not sure if uh, they could have gotten a lower price there, but I think whoever owned apartments.com was trying to get it too, but the FTC didn't want them to get it. So Redfin got it. Uh, they had $194 million in sales in 2020. So a bit on the cheap, depending on what margins they had. I believe they had 50 million in EBITDA. Could be fake EBITDA. You know, can't trust that just from the press release, but uh, makes sense, you know, to integrate something like this with Redfin. Um, it is, if you don't know what RentPath is, it's similar to apartments.com where you know, you're trying to find rentals instead of kind of the Zillow Redfin type where you're going for home buying. All those Zillow competes with them as well. But my first thought with this is that the apartment, finding apartments online stinks. I did this about three months ago. Ryan has just done this. Honestly, Google Maps was better. It's not even great because it's not optimized for searching for apartments, but it was so it's, bad. Apartments.com is stinks. A, stinks. Just atrocious. It stinks. I, maybe rent path works, uh, but I mean, there's a lot of room for improvement here. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there is so much room for someone to win that market. Yeah. So the five goals for management when I did this, uh, I was reading the transcript from the acquisition call. They said they want to get more listings on RentPath and integrate it into Redfin. So to combine it for, you know, renters and home buyers on Redfin, which makes sense. They're going to let property owners only pay for signed leases, at least through May. So they're going to try to onboard people at least quicker and make it cheaper for people. They're going to hire agents for rentals, which seems interesting. Don't know how that's going to work. Uh, they're going to work with businesses, which means the apartment owners. And then long-term, they want to 
quote, redefine renting in the consumer's favor. It'll be interesting to see what they do there, but they did it a little bit with home buying. So it could be interesting. And there is a lot of, you know, there's a ton of improvement to be had there. Um, yeah, I, any, couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I had to, I went through the most terrible process. I, it, it really, stinks. you just end up going to every single website and looking at their little map directory or having to call them because it's not always up to date. And then apartment, apartments.com is usually not up to date. Yeah, it's so it's really, like it's really you never want to rent through there or anything like that. <laughs> short, don't short, yeah, short of Don't know. It's not investment advice. But even <laughs> if you, do you have anything on that? And if not, we can go to highlights and lowlights. Yeah, let's dive into highlights and lowlights. So one thing, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier with the 1% of the real estate market, but they provide a lot of business, business and industry metrics in their 10K, which is kind of cool to be able to track um, just those numbers and get a little bit of a better idea about what's really going on in the business and the numbers that they think are important, the KPIs, if you will. Um, they show monthly visitors, uh, revenue per transaction. We mentioned this, the share of the real estate market along with a few others. And that's just, I always like seeing that as a, an investor to get a little bit of transparency into the business. Um, I think Ryan had mentioned this, but the brokering business increased uh, 50% year over year in Q4. So that piece of it was really growing a lot. Um, and that's a, that's a revenue number. And so um, just, uh, just again, the piece of the business that I think is most important is that the real estate broker business, and that is growing at a high level in Q4. Um, and then they're also saying they're hiring lead agents faster than ever um, and trying to really hone and optimize for the most effective agents. Uh, in terms of low lights, they are subject to market fluctuations. As interest rates rise, people are less interested in buying homes because mortgages are more expensive. Um, and so those macroeconomic factors do matter a lot for a business like this. And you can't just ride this one out through any, well, you yeah. can't ride it out, but it, but it will, it will be volatile in some of those more volatile um, macro environments in a lot of cases. Yeah. It does seem cyclical a bit, um, but yeah, man. I'm curious what happens in an 08 type of environment. Not, uh, not I don't know if that'll ever happen again, but does I would that, say right does now. that kill Redfin's business? They went through 08. I yeah, they yeah. I the mean, business they are now, but does that kill their business? I think that I'm not an expert in real estate, but yeah, they're probably fine. You know, Zillow and Redfin are probably fine in 08 because they're capital light. But if they go all heavy into eye buying, I think there's a little bit of trouble there. What about yeah. you, Ian? Yeah, and I was just going to say on that that. The other thing about them that makes them different than the traditional brokerages is like we've talked about, they ha have these agents as employees. And so it's a higher fixed cost base yeah. um, on some of that. And so in a situation like that, I assume that they'd, they'd make the tough decisions that they had to. And I'd, it'd be interesting to look back and see what they actually did in 08, if there's any articles on it or something like that. But um, yeah, I think their business would definitely take a hit. And and uh, one, one more point I'll make on the iBuying that I had not made earlier is that they, like I said, yes, they are low margin, but part of the reason that they can make that a somewhat effective business is because of the leverage, right? They're using, yeah. they're using borrowed money at low rates in order to, um, you know, get better returns on equity on some of those, those house flips. So, um, that's, that's at least as I, as I see it, that's kind of the allure of some of the, that I buying process, but, um, it's dangerous yeah. though. It's dangerous. It's dangerous like you said. As we know, house flipping is uh, house flipping is not It's not okay. It's a little bit dangerous and it can be risky. Not saying it can't be successful, but if you bring it up to a tech company level, I don't know. I just feel like if Open Door got so big, it could be just a total bomb for the you know the market, right? Yeah, I, I just 
the I worry, worry of possibly over leveraging, yeah. I guess, is the concern. Housing over leveraging? No. <laughs> and we've seen that story probably a million times. But my highlight is the uh, that I really think they can be sort of the one-stop shop for all things residential real estate. And I do think uh, that people are looking to sort of bottleneck a lot of the, or throttle down a lot of the house services or home services like mortgage, title so services. Yeah, streamline. Sorry, I guess I'm maybe using the wrong term there, but uh, into just the same place. Like, I don't think you need this cluster of different, uh, essentially, suppliers uh, in that process. So, and Redfin seems the, like the most apt to be able to do all that. Um, low lights, I'm kind of searching here. I am reaching, I'd say, for a low light. Uh, it's fragmented, and I don't know if it'll stay fragmented. I think there's always a component of real estate that's done in person i think uh there you're also going to see resistance this usually doesn't end well but you'll see resistance from traditional brokers uh yeah. but but airbnb you know yeah, ish a little bit um but I, I once again i'd say i'm reaching and there is always the possibility that zillow uh, is successful going they're sort of taking reverse paths i yeah. guess you could say redfin is taking the really uh, low commission brokerage approach uh, and then leveraging that tech on top of it. Whereas Zillow is basically all tech and now they're trying to scale back to the brokerage yep. services. If they're able to do that efficiently, they obviously get more eyeballs than Redfin. So they have uh, that funnel of customers, but I don't know. I like the way Redfin's going at it a lot more than the way Zillow is. Yeah, I kind of flip back and forth. I really can't tell who has the better play you know redfin or zillow i, I all like, i know is they're better than open door <laughs> i mean i've looked at trying to buy i've i'm i've looked at trying to buy a home if i were to do it i'd do it through redfin really and it's like zillow is good for inspiration good for kind of finding areas maybe that i like but i'm not going to go down and scroll down and like call that agent i'm going to try to find something on redfin Okay, that's interesting to know. All right, I'll hit mine. I mean, I like the CEO style and candor on the rent path call or in general. Really like the CEO, uh, but I was just reading transcripts. So maybe, you know, need a little more digging to confirm that. Um, I think they are going about it in a way that makes sense. Margin expansion outside of iBuying looks good to see. Lowlights, I'm really not sure anyone has found the right way to win the real estate market. Could be Redfin, but it feels like it's, still commodity to me i don't know like if you just throw a bunch of capital out at it i don't know it feels like cars well, or planes a bit all right maybe what, but what the commissions but the lower commissions is you know that's a big that's deal something. they can literally buy a house for a lower price uh but what uh, kind that's of a value differentiator yeah maybe that one maybe. and a half percent Maybe that they're yeah. saving is a lot of money. Yeah, if that's that's some, that's definitely something. That's probably the biggest thing. Um, other lowlights for me, you know, share count headwinds. Uh, you guys know me. I don't like share count headwinds. Uh, <laughs> and they're also a little bit at mercy of the mortgage market, interest rate stuff like that. I saw this quote from somewhere, but it was from management or an audited thing. It says we're shifting from best efforts delivery to mandatory delivery where we take on more risk and then we're hedging that risk by trading mortgage-backed securities. Now, that doesn't sound like bad or anything. You know, you're taking on some loans, you might want to leverage it. Or sorry, not leverage it, uh, hedge it, right? In this situation. But I worry as a tech company, 
getting into financial services. If this was Goldman Sachs, well, I don't know. If this was a bank, that's you know, not I, so well either. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, okay. In general, if it's someone with financial expertise or, you know, something like that, like a bank, I trust them more to do this. But Redfin, it brings in more risk to the business. Yeah. I don't know. Why do these software engineers, well, maybe they can't, maybe there's, they're fine. I mean, but why other people at the business? But yeah. yeah, but that's their bread and butter. That's their bread and butter. I do think, though, I mean, if you just take everything else as a, uh, at the core of the business, they have a low commission brokerage service that people love. Yeah. Um, and then they can use the most visited brokerage website as to leverage that. Like that's a really good model, I think. Um, yeah, it's a good, I think. I mean, yeah. I was trying to bring some whites, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's probably the best model also, out there. Also worth noting, I had to, I kind of had to dig for low lights, and a lot of it was not one where low light really popped up for me. Yeah. All right. More or less interested, Ian. You go first. I still don't even know what I'm going to say about this, but I think I'll say um, maybe a little bit less interested and not hear me. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying the business is a bad business, or I didn't think it was a good business, but I think I, I went into it really hoping to be wowed. And I don't yeah. think I was quite wowed. You know, I had high expectations and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad business by any means. And I like the model and all that type of stuff, but um, just not quite, didn't quite wow me as I kind of wanted to. And part of that was due to the valuation that we talked about. Like it's not a, it's not at some sort of cheap valuation here. It doesn't, at least it doesn't appear that way to me. Yeah. The, uh, I agree on the, like I was looking to be wowed because I haven't seen it before, but on Twitter and in general, people are like, wow, Redfin, such a beast, you know, whatever, all that stuff. It's yeah. so great. And there, I don't know, the growth wasn't in iPop, you know, there's no iPopping. Yeah. I do think uh, investors today have maybe been brainwashed into thinking a sales multiple that isn't double digits is cheap. No. Um, but you have to remember that a lot of that revenue isn't real, essentially. It's volume. Yeah, gross um, profit. And so gross, gross profit. profit's a number to pay attention to. And really, as Brett mentioned earlier, cash flow is a number to pay attention to. Yeah. And they also have that uh, stock-based compensation as well. So th the price wasn't uh, screaming buy for me. Um, but the business itself, I really, really like, so yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say, could they, what happens if they doubled their market share? Could they do that? They've done that. They've done they've that grown before. well so far. Yeah. Um, and I like the service. I'm kind of, I, I, I'm more interested, uh, but at the same time, I'm a little stuck on value. Really, yeah. I mean, I'm on the fence as well. I think it's similar to Ian. I don't know the okay. Would I would I be surprised if this is a hundred billion dollar business in twenty thirty market cap? No. Would I be surprised if it's the same market cap as today? No. And that just worries me that with a high valuation, uh, the predictability of the business, uh, I can't is, get around it, and that's not something I like to play. That play is, we yeah we do like things that are more predictable, and this is. There's a few but, factors that are hard to yeah. account for. But yeah, but again, I, would I be surprised if they had 10% market share and were $100 billion market cap by 2030? No, I would be like, well, that, that makes sense. But <laughs> do what are angry what, at myself for, for not buying it? But, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. All yeah. Right. So everybody's got reminders to uh, yell at us in 10 years when it's a $100 billion company. Yes. Please, please dunk on us. I uh, will welcome it. And if we got stuff wrong, uh, 
because we do get stuff wrong on the show. Please let us We're know politely on Twitter. Uh, don't yell at us. <laughs> Please, we don't like getting yelled at. We're sensitive. But uh, yeah. Ian, we're uh, going to wrap things up with the stock for next week. What do you got? Yep. So I'm thinking let's look at uh, Five Below. It's a discount retailer. Um, not really into short-term trading, but this is a little bit of a – it's going to get some tailwinds from reopening probably. So um, something to take a look at. I think the annual report comes out this week, so we'll get some fresh numbers to look at. All right. That sounds good. Five, Five Below. Below. I mean, it's a, it's a sneaky – company that's done really well sort of like dollar general ish yeah it is kind of like that i feel like sneaky. ian you and i you and i kind of looked at it this summer right yeah i looked at it a little bit last summer and we talked about it a bit and we we probably should have bought shares it's been on quite the run since last summer but uh, we'll take a look at it we'll take a look at it maybe talk a little bit about why we did it at the time and uh why we're looking at it now all right well yeah excited to talk about that next week that's going to do it for this episode make sure as always, use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month at 7investing. We are not financial advisors. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital Investors Fund. Clients in Arch Capital may hold securities discussed on this podcast. Ryan's laughing because of the emphasis I put, uh, put yeah, in there. Yeah, you use the full name. We never... <laughs> yes. Well, uh, there's our other Arch Capitals out there. So uh, the one that we're in charge of. The clients in it may own securities discussed on this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.